Good morning. Good morning. Are all y'all going to sit over there? <laughs> oh, I'm glad to be in the Lord's house this morning. I hope that you are. I want to welcome everyone to Hammer Creek Baptist Church this morning. And um, I'd like for us to begin with a word of prayer. Lord God, we come to you first and foremost, Lord, asking you that you would fix our, our hearts upon you. And uh, Lord, this is your day. It is set apart as holy. It is uh, special. And God, this uh, gathering together of the saints is for your glory. And so we just ask that, uh, Lord, as we have come out, we pray, God, that you would uh, make your name great among us. We pray, God, that we would be a shining light in our community and that we would uh, take the good news with us wherever we go and that we would proclaim who you are to a world that needs you more than ever. Lord, for our services today, um, in prayer and song and in the exposition of your word, we pray, God, that uh, you would be in control of all of these things and that your will would be done. Uh, Lord, we want to thank you for Christ Jesus. We want to thank you, Lord, for the sacrifice that he made for us. And, uh, Lord, it is the only way that we can have forgiveness of sins. And so we just thank you that he came, that he took on the mission, that he would live a perfectly sinless life. Lord, that he would go to Calvary and that he would shed his blood for us and rise on the third day. Help us to remember, Lord, who we are in Christ Jesus and that the victory has been won and that because uh, we have true belief and true repentance, we are His and we are Yours. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, I want to mention just uh, the announcements quickly. Um, we only have a few. Um, we are still going to have the meeting right after church up here for those that are interested in the Ark Encounter. Um, we might have to... Reach, reach out to others another time or send information to them. We'll figure all that out, um, but we will have that. Oh, let me say this. Today is uh, Sanctity of Life, Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. And, uh, of course, you know that our church is involved in uh, the most involved in the URA Women's Center, and uh, that's something that we're very proud of. And there is an insert. Um, it has some information about the center and um, some statistics on it. And I, I'm not going to read them all, but I would encourage you, um, they'll tuck that in your Bible and make some time to look over that. And um, many of you have already supported the Women's Center in some way. And uh, in that way, you have a part in that mission. But also, uh, remember to pray for it. And, and that is probably the most important thing of all. Um, any other announcements? All right, well, not seeing any others. Let's... Uh, Let's take a minute to name some prayer requests. And before we start naming, let me say that there are always many that are not named, um, things that people keep close and don't share. And so just remember to pray for um, this church family and uh, remember each other throughout the week. Um, by the way, pray for... Uh, I'm not saying that we're having a problem, by the way, but pray for unity in this church. It is very important that God's people have one spirit, one mind, having one Lord and so let us always pray for that. I want to ask that you all continue to remember um, the bereaved families. And <clears throat> I don't know how long we should keep families on this list. But most recently, remember the Mikey Bird family and the Scott Green family. Um, but as I looked, uh, I couldn't help but remember, uh, think about um, the Blackman family as well. Um, keep them in your prayers. It must be, still be a, a terribly difficult time. Remember Albert's nurse that he mentioned, Alice. Um, remember the young man, Logan Belt, that um, has cancer. 
Uh, I'd remind you that the paperwork folks are going to be losing their job in a few months, so pray for all of those that, that work there and uh, for future employment opportunities. And this is a, one of those broad ones, but it's still applicable. Let me say this first. Praise the Lord that He does answer prayers. And He has answered many, and we need to glorify Him when He does that and praise His name. Um, but there are still a lot of people sick, and sickness has been lingering. Um, I know Jordan is in that camp, and there are many others. Uh, but pray that, uh, uh, that they would get well, that the Lord would see them through this time and, and heal their bodies. Pray for Miss Ruby Williams. And remember, uh, Miss Lori Pate, Robin mentioned uh, Lori last week, but... Um, she had to deal with something very unexpected, very traumatic, and so just pray for her. Um, I want to ask that you remember Robert and Rebe uh, Rebecca Nelson. By the way, uh, Margaret has a knee surgery coming up, and I'm sure that she would cover your prayers going into that. I, that's uh, May 28th, I think. Um, what other prayer requests should we mention today? I have a lady that, it's a long and short story, but it's a lady that... Um, I met during some Delta flights when I was trying to get home from Atlanta about five years ago. Her name is Linda Portal, and um, she's been dealing with cancer for some time now. And um, I always kind of wait on bated breath whenever I see her comment on something on my Facebook or whatever, and we chat and messenger back and forth. And she said, God's been good and has kept me here longer than I should have been here. Um, but just pray for her. Um, and... Um, she will leave behind an adopted son named Luke whenever she passes, and they are currently living with her, her parents. Um, okay. And Luke is who I'm concerned about more than anything right now. So, um, but she's still with us. She she got to see another new year. So. Okay. Chris. Cynthia Scott, a guy that I work with, his wife. She's about 62, 65, something like that. But she had a stroke. Okay, let's remember Cynthia Scott. Um, I'll mention one Jeannie kind of reminded me of with hers. Is, and I don't know his father's name, but um, a fellow that works with, for the Wildlife Commission over in Shelby, his, uh, his name's Brandon Bridges, but his daddy has cancer. And they, they told him just the other day that his daddy had less than six months. And uh, so that's, he's fairly young, um, fairly unexpected. Remember that Bridges family is... Um, they do their best to enjoy what he had, what time he has left. Um, do I see a hand over here? The little girl's father. So that's a big, big, big burden for his heart. But, um, and Lori's doing better. She's getting better every day dealing with it. So if you'll just please remember the Rayleigh and Armstrong family. Okay. 
Love your little ones. Hold them close. Um, Billy, I saw you raise your hand. I'm sorry. seen so much disrespect for the elderly and then I've seen it personally when they're not able to take care of themselves and they just need help thank you for mentioning that you got one more hold on just a second go ahead Miss Robin Did you say Ward? Mm-hmm. All right, Betty June Ward family. Miss Libby, was that you? Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Hmm. All right. Well, let's go to the Lord uh, and lift these up. And remember that f- folks are dealing with stuff all the time. If we're real honest... Everybody is. Uh, Robbie, would you remember these, brother?
when you get stuck on your mind, you call and talk to talk to people and see your mind. And Lord, all the ones that's mentioned on the prayer list, is touch them, kill them, do thy will. And we pray for a military Lord in our country. And uh, just bless this offering, Lord. We ask all this in your precious name. Amen. <coughs>
Uh, the kids go back to Children's Church, those that are going, and the rest of you are finding your seats. Um, I'll tell you, we are going to continue walking through 1 John, and we're going to be covering one of those Bible passages that sounds a little strange coming from God, who is love, and especially from John, who focuses on the theme of love. But um, I want to remind you that love is a coin with two sides, which means that if you Love some things, you must hate other things. So if God loves righteousness, then He hates evil. He hates wickedness. And here we have the command, do not love the world. 
We're going to be reading from 1 John chapter 2, and we're only going to be taking three verses here, 15 through 17, and we're going to take a look at what it really means, uh, because, you know, sometimes the Bible words things, um, well, in a way that we wouldn't. Whoever does not hate his mother or father, for example, the Bible's not really saying you better hate your mother or hate your siblings or your children. Um, so we're going to talk in depth about that, but I'd like for you to stand for the reading of God's Word. And again, we will be reading 1 John chapter 2, verses 15, 16, and 17. And John, continuing in his letter, says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the, desire, the, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And first and foremost, we'll just, we'll, we'll capture the main theme here, which is do not love the world. And before we talk about that, we must consider what does John mean by do not love the world, especially when you think about John writing for God so loved the world, and so we're comparing those two verses side by side, it gets a little confusing, but let me just say that the word world here is cosmos, and so it can be used in several different ways. In fact, John uses it in a multitude of different ways, but the word world or cosmos it has to do with all creation, all of the created order. In fact, I was telling my kids this past week about God creating every star in the sky and I don't know the numbers, but I know that there are more than we can count. And I said, you know what a galaxy is? And they, no. And I said, well, it's, it's a collection of stars. I said, you know how many uh, galaxies there are? And they said, a hundred? That's a big number to them. I said, no, there's billions. And they, and they said, how many stars are in a galaxy? Billions. And so all of the created order, uh, from one end of the universe, if it has an end to the other, is the cosmos. And so sometimes when the word is used, it means in all of its bigness. Sometimes John uses the word cosmos to refer to the world in all of its badness. Sometimes he uses it to refer to the world um, in all of its broadness. For example, for God so loved the world, this refers that, I mean, keep in mind, uh, in fact, in Sunday school this morning, we were studying uh, God's call to Abram and confirming his covenant. I'm going to leave it at that. And, uh, and, you know, the, it, it was a Jewish phenomenon, Abram being the first uh, Hebrew, and uh, Christ came to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, but God so loved the world that he sent him to be a light unto the Gentiles also. But here we have um, the command to do not love the world, and it means the system of the world. In other words, what is evil about the world? In fact, we could very well say the evil order of the world. Um, I want to remind you of some of the ways that we see this in the Scripture. Um, Jesus himself said in John chapter 14, he said, I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. Now, if I stop right there, and if maybe if a person is a new Christian or they're not familiar with this verse, they might think, well, God's the ruler of this world. And make no mistake about it, God is ultimately supreme over all things, every second in time. But Jesus says this about the ruler of this world. He said, he has no claim on me, but I do as the Father. So he's 
he's saying it's not the Father, it's somebody else. And indeed, Satan himself is identified as the ruler of this world. In another place he is referred to, this is in 2 Corinthians, Paul refers to him as the God of this world or the God of this age. And he says that he has blinded the minds of unbelievers. And that right there, as a matter of fact, captures what John means when he says, do not love the world. The world has gone after Satan. The world has fallen in all of its parts and is sinful in all of its ways, and it is spellbound to Satan. Now, I'll just, I'm just going to be real honest with you. You do not have to look very hard to see this. You have to do nothing more than cut on your television. Now, look, I've watched plenty of movies. And sometimes, in fact, uh, uh, some of the movies that we think are pretty good and pretty clean, they're really not, <laughs> if, if you really look at them. You know what sells? I, I didn't look this up, but I bet if you go back and you look at the, uh, the biggest grossing blockbusters of this year or last year, for example, I'm going to tell you what you're going to find in them. You ready? Violence, sex, money. That's the evil world order. Those are the things that it revolves around. And if you uh, don't turn on your television, first let me say, good for you. All you have to do is look into the world of politics. And by the way, um, I can throw both camps in there, just letting you know. Or If there's three camps now that... There are crooks in, amongst all of them, every single one. If you turn on the radio or you listen to, to music, much of it is just filth. In fact, I have been shocked to see these little uh, shorts that people have been putting up that show the lyrics of songs that we sang when we were little kids and did not realize how graphic some of the lyrics really were and what they really meant. Um, by the way, stuff that gets stuck in your head forever if you're not careful. The ideals of society in our day, they are the ideals of the ruler of this age. Now, trusting in anything other than God is idolatry. And many people trust in the things of this world, and that is idolatry. Now look, many times we think about idols, uh, we think about a little graven image carved out of stone. Or, or carved out of wood. By the way, whose fault is that? Would we say that it's the stone's fault or we do, do we blame the tree? Idolatry comes from one place, and John Calvin said it best when he said this. He said, the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. So if you want to know where idolatry comes from, look no further than right there. And any time... And by the way, let me just warn you, be on guard of this. Don't think that I'm preaching about people out there. I'm talking to us. We need to be on guard of trusting in things uh, that our heart has set its mind upon rather than God. You know, Jesus famously said of the heart um, when there were some accusations about uh, what was being eaten, he said, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but it's what comes out of it that defiles a person. And when he explains this uh, to his disciples, he says, do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth goes into the stomach and is expelled, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart? Now, this is what Jesus Christ identified the heart as producing. Listen up. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. 
But to eat with unwashed hands, by the way, that's what most people would tell you is cleanliness is next to godliness, and then they have all sorts of filth in their life. By the way, cleanliness being next to godliness is not a Bible verse. That's something somebody dreamed up. So you can eat with your dirty hands, uh, but you better beware of what comes forth from the heart. Now, I'll say it again. Anything, here's an idol. Anything that you love more than God, anything that you serve more than God, anything that you fear more than God, anything that you trust more than God. God alone is worthy of all of your affections, your reverence, your faith, and your service. By the way, let me say something. Some of the things that I'm discussing can be objectively good things. I'll give you an example. This is an easy one. If you trust your doctor more than God, that's idolatry. But doctors can be good. I'm not saying don't go to the doctor. I think there are some preachers that might do that. They tell them, don't go to the doctor and... Uh, well, I'm not in that camp. Sometimes you need somebody to sew you up or fix you in some way. I get it. But a doctor is a man. Just a man. Uh, by the way, let me leave off preaching here for a minute and start meddling. I said this to somebody yesterday. You don't all have the best doctor. People will tell you that all the time. Oh, I've got Dr. So-and-so down in such-and-such, and he's just the best. He's the best in the world. Y'all watch how many people say that. And you know why we say that? Because we want to trust them completely. Now look, I hope they're good. I hope they've done their studies. And when they're doing these 5 o'clock surgeries that they do now, I have no idea why. I hope they've had a cup of coffee. But they are just men. So trust God. Now you might have to put yourself in man's hands sometimes. In fact, we all do in one way or another. Uh, but the fact is... You can live in the world, Christian. In fact, you do live in the world. Do you remember when Jesus prayed to the Father? He said, I do not pray that you take these out of the world. You know what that means? It's Jesus' plan that we're here. But you can live in the world and the world not get to live in you. In fact, that's the Christian call. You live in the world, but don't let the world take up residence in you. And of course, the classic Christian example is it's like a boat on the water. The boat can be in the water, but the water can't be in the boat. Uh, and you know, <clears throat> if you think about that analogy, you get a little water in your boat, you can get along for a little while, but that don't go on forever because eventually with enough water, it will sink your ship. So be, in fact, I'll just go to the end. We'll come back to this later. But when John finishes this letter, he says, and he's talking to the church. This is what's so staggering. He's talking to the church and he says, keep yourselves from idols. Do you know what that means? That means you can't sit back and say, Jesus saved me. I'm good to go. Don't have to worry about anything. You need to be on guard. You need to guard your heart. You need to be vigilant. And you need to make sure that you don't fall in love with the world. Now, uh, one of the classic reasons for this, again, I'm going to refer to Jesus' teaching. He says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, he will be devoted to one and despise the other, and Jesus says you cannot serve God and money. But let me just say, for all things in the world, this is true. You have one master, and it's either something in this world or it is the Almighty. You cannot serve two. And if you try, and if you say, oh, I can, I'm going to be the first one that does, you are wrong. And you will eventually lose devotion to one. You see, we as Christians, we must remember that we are but pilgrims passing through. 
You know, we live in this world, but we don't belong to it. We're not of it. We are of the Father. We have been born again by faith and true repentance. And so we are just passing through. And as it says in Hebrews of the saints that they desire a better country, a heavenly one, that should be us. Now, look, I'm not saying don't clean up your neighborhood. I'm not saying don't vote for people that make the best decisions. You need to do those things. Uh, we need to encourage righteousness in the societies in which we live, recognizing that this, this earth, all of it, the United States of America and all of its glory among men will eventually pass away and there will be one kingdom that remains forever and ever. And it's the one that I hope you're praying for, saying, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Now, the second thing I want to point out here is that worldliness is in complete opposition to godliness. Complete opposition to godliness. If you're worldly, you're not being godly. And if you're being godly, you're not being worldly. And sometimes you can be one or the other, or you could be either one, even as a Christian. We see that in the New Testament even with the examples of moral failures, um, even of the, the, the disciples that Christ called himself. So let me just say something here. <clears throat> in fact, I, we were uh, riding down the road as a family the other day, and uh, Naomi, she's kind of a, a little bit of a dreamer anyway, and she looked outside and she said, the world is so beautiful. And it is. It really is. And so when, when John here, empowered by the Holy Spirit, so God's speaking, when he says, do not love the world, he's not saying, don't love sunsets. He's not saying, don't love a turkey goblin on a spring morning. He's not saying, don't appreciate the beauty of waterfalls. He's not saying, don't love a field full of flowers uh, or, or, or whatever it may be. God, in fact, when God made everything, my Bible says that when he finished the creation, he said it is very good. And so it is good. And matter of fact, sometimes... Um, when I see the world and all of its splendor and its beauty and it carries the very fingerprints of God and His signature upon it, I have to remind myself that we do live in a fallen creation. So there is much beauty that is what we would call the created beauty. And I'm just telling you, that's not what John's talking about. That is God's creation made for you, a habitation for us. And by the way, someday going to be remade, all the bad stuff taken out, and the meek shall inherit the earth. But don't let anything take your eyes and your trust and service and fear and love away from God. And sometimes created things can do that. Matter of fact, if you look at the, the atheists today, most atheists, they're some type of uh, kind of pagan. And they worship the creature, something of creation, more than they worship the creator. And that, of course, comes from Romans. And if you love one of those things, whether it's waterfalls or sunsets or chasing goblin turkeys in the spring, if you love that more than God, that is an idol. Um, and I think about the idols that men set up for themselves these days, and many of them have to do with money or security, um, but sometimes it can be recreation. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not a golfer. I'm, I like hunting and fishing. That's more my style. But I was looking at a golf course one day, and I thought, you know, it really is quite beautiful. And, and I could see when I realized and, and looked hard at it that men had come in with heavy equipment and lots of money, and they had reshaped the land, and they had created a sort of a garden. 
And then people pay money and whack a little white ball around this garden. But it is really pretty. And we have to admit, it's beautiful. And can I just say, there's nothing wrong with golf. There's nothing wrong with going to the beach. There's nothing wrong with sports of any kind or hunting or fishing if you keep them in their right place. As soon as you get them out of order and your priorities get turned upside down, they can become idolatry. Now, how do you keep your heart ordered? You focus on Christ. And I'm going to get to that in more detail in just a minute. But let me say something. And in fact, I'm going to talk to the parents for a minute. Grandparents, too. Sometimes to keep the world out of our homes and to keep things that are good things from becoming idols, you have to be able to say something very specific to your children. Are you ready? No. You have to be able to tell children, no. You have to be able, grandparents, y'all start getting soft when you get a little age on you. Say no. And that means no to certain things on television. That means no to certain songs. It might mean no to certain amounts of good things. You know what's good? Carrot cake is good. One piece of carrot cake is real good. Two, three is not good. That's too many. Put that one in the refrigerator for another day. But, you know, I'm being silly. But keep yourselves from idols. Constantly guard your heart. And I'm going to, parents, guard your families. Protect your family because the influence of the world, it is constant and it keeps coming, and it never lets up, and it seems like the older kids get, the harder it is to protect them from the world. Now look, you can't, you can't not show them the world. The world system's coming for them. Eventually you have to expose them to it, but you do it in a way that you are teaching them, um, not in a way that once it gets a foothold in them, you're trying to pry it out. Amen. Let me just remind you that in the, book of, in the book of James, it says that friendship with the world is enmity with God. That's that two masters thing. And if you go chasing after the world, you're running from God. Conversely, if you go chasing after God, you're running from the world. And that's where you want to be. That's where you want to be. You don't want to be too wrapped up in the things of this world. And matter of fact, in the context there, do you know what James calls the Christian that becomes worldly? He calls them an adulterer. And that is supposed to be an alarming word. It's supposed to catch you and knock you back on your heels because it's like saying you commit adultery against God. Now look, this verse uh, right here that speaks of the things of the world, it lists certain things. This is from verse 16. For all that is in the world, and this is how you know it's not talking about waterfalls, sunset, beaches, etc. He says the desires of the flesh, that's number one. Number two, the desire of the eyes. And number three, the pride of life. So when we think about these, what do they mean? In fact, in the King James, it says the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Now, the word lust is an easy one for us. It's an easy one to pick on. But let me just say, this is broader than just what we would typically call lust. It's anything that would catch you and draw you away. So it's not just what we would call sensuality, but it is anything that is an inappropriate, forbidden, or out-of-place desire. Uh, John Gill says that it is... All unchaste desires, you ready? Thoughts, words, and actions. Indulging in excess of anything, even good things like food and drink. Now in Galatians it says that, and this is the war that exists in every man, that the flesh, I hear Billy Graham every time I say this word, 
uh, this verse. The flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. Now, if you are Christ, you are called not to be carnal, but to be spiritual and to walk after Christ. And even in this, this body of death, as Paul calls it, we have, we have the old man still inside of us. But the Bible tells us to crucify the flesh. And you know the thing about crucifixion? It is a long, slow, and torturous process. And as you think about getting victory over sin in your own life, and by the way, I've said this so many times, and I'm going to say it again and again and again. And if somebody out here is listening to me, if you are struggling with sin in your life, and I don't mean if you're giving over to sin. I ain't talking to you. But if you are struggling with sin, you keep struggling, and you keep leaning on Jesus, and you will have victory over the sin. I promise. That victory, it only comes when you realize where the power comes from, though. And it ain't in you. It's in the King. Jesus Christ who went to Calvary for you. But I, I will promise you that. I don't care who you are or what you're dealing with. You will have that victory if you keep your eyes upon King Jesus. Now, um, I'm going to read you a little passage from Galatians 5 so that you compare the carnal man that we're called not to be to the spiritual man. Now listen to the carnal man. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these... Now, here's your list. By the way, this is Galatians 5, 19 through 25, if you want to look it up later. It's the fruit of the Spirit section. The works of the flesh are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, sedition, heresies. That ain't good. But if you go chasing after the world and you are a worldly person... These will be the fruit that you produce. It says, furthermore, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such the like, of which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So you want to be at a point in your life where you're not identified as one of those. Now, if any of you ask me, you come to me and you say, well, uh, Rupert, have you never caused any strife, that'd be any kind of quarreling or discontentment. Yes, I have. Maybe not that long ago, if I'm real honest. Don't you say a word. <laughs> but I don't identify myself that way. Again, we're not talking about people that slip up once in a while. We're talking about people that have chosen something as their identity so much that they live in it. Now listen to what the other side of that coin is. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And he says, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. In other words, not in the flesh. You know, we, uh, I'm not, by the way, I'm not implying this is easy. The Christian life is a difficult life uh, because, we're, we're, like I said, we're in the world, but we've got to make sure that the world doesn't get in us. And so we must constantly mortify our flesh, constantly be on guard for wickedness to be rising up inside of us. I'm reminded of what John Owen, the Puritan, famously said. He said, you had better be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Now that's the... 
uh, lust of the flesh or the desires of the flesh. What about the desires of the eyes? This is anything that could catch your eye and lead you off course. It is the things of this world that capture the hearts of men. And mostly they fall into categories like these. Possessions. By the way, we were studying Abraham this morning. And best I can tell, he, he might well have been the richest person on earth at the time when he lived. So this is not saying you can't have possessions, but what is it saying? Possessions can't have you. And many times somebody will, I have to have whatever it is. Somebody, it's a certain bass boat or it's a property or a certain house or something. And that becomes all that they are and it is idolatry. Sometimes it's not possessions, but it's pleasures. And many times the pleasures of this world will sink the hooks into the heart of a young man and lead him straight to slaughter. And we must be on guard of the pleasures of this world, the passions of this world. There are, uh, there are, there are positions, if you will. And some people, they want the power. This is something that leads a lot of men astray. I want to be in charge. I want to have... In fact, somebody told me the other day, I don't sit in a position of power on accident. In other words, he wanted to lord over people. That's a good way to not have any friends, by the way. Well, nobody like that, do they? Nevertheless, or the, the prophets of this world, just money. The love of money is the root of all evil. Not money, but the love of money. And I want to say something. When it's, By the way, it's the desire of the eyes. Things that you look on. And so this is still the lust of the eyes. When you look at something and it can get a hold of your heart. And I want you to be very careful because there are many things that you can look on and they can lead your heart away. How many times do we see in the scriptures? Let me remind you of Lot. That before Lot ever sat in the gate in the city of Sodom, that it says he looked towards Sodom. Or when King David, before he ever sinned with Bathsheba, it said he walked out on his roof and he looked on the beautiful maiden. And I want you to know that there are young men, young Christians in churches, and they think, oh, I'll just look a little bit. And you have no idea where that little look is going to take you. How serious is it? It is so serious that Jesus Christ said, it would be better if your right eye causes you to sin that you would tear it out and cast it away from you. And it would be better that you would go into heaven with one part missing than to be led to destruction whole. Now look, is he really saying to tear your eye out or cut your arm off? No, don't do that. What he is doing is he's saying, it's so serious that you'd be better off that way. And so what he wants you to do is have discipline with your eyes. In the book of Job, Job says, I love this. He says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look on a beautiful maiden? Do you know what he's saying? I've, you need to understand it, what it means to cut a covenant. But that's what he was saying. I'd rather lose my eyes than to sin with them against my wife, against my God, and against my own flesh. Look, young men, young men, careful where you let your eyes linger. Careful, because they will lead you astray. Make a covenant with your eyes that they do not settle. Now look, you're going to see a lot of things in life that you shouldn't see. But I hope that when you do, you have discipline to close your eyes, duck your head, and keep going. Don't let them linger. Don't let them linger. Now look, that's the desire of the eyes. Um, and again, it's not, 
It can be it can be so many things. It can be material possessions. It can be power. It's not just forbidden desires. But it also says the, the pride of life. The pride of life. Now think about this. How many people do you know that live for the praise of men? And everything that they say and do is so that other people are patting them on the back. Good job. Good for you. Oh, you're awesome. Or, you got the promotion at work. You saved the company. You made the big deal. Or, by the way, success in itself is not bad. But if you are living your life before men, you're not living it before God. Remember that one master? Same deal. And if you live your life, and by the way, sometimes the most accomplished people are scared to death that they won't be accepted. You know what I figured out pretty early on? You aren't going to be accepted anyway. There's always somebody that don't like you. Carry on. Live your life. Be man enough to not worry about what everybody thinks except for one person. There's one person you need to be worried about what they think. God Almighty. And if you live your life before God, men just sort of there with you or, or outside of you, against you, it doesn't really matter. Because you've got God on your side, and if He be for us, who can be against us? But this is the pride of life. It's to live for the praise of our brothers, our colleagues, to get the, the accolades of men. There is a better life, and it's the Christian life. It's the one that comes when you turn away from the world and towards God. Now, lastly, I want to point out that to love the world, to go chasing after the world, is to cling to death. It's to be seeking after Death, And I don't mean, you know, just in the, in the simple sense that we use the term death, for all of us will pass through the doorway that we call death. But right here it says, and the world is passing away. That's not all it says, though, is it? It says, and the world is passing away with its desires. Which desires? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You make your part with those things, you've made your part with death because the day is coming when they will be crushed and blow away in the wind. Like dust in the wind. But look on the other side. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now look, that doesn't mean you can earn your salvation, but that means that true belief has with it true repentance. In fact, the bird of salvation's got two wings. If you only have one wing, it don't fly. But let me just go ahead and give you my way of looking at this. If you truly believe, you have true repentance. If you truly repent, you have true belief. I believe that they come together. Now, there are many that have a false repentance or a false belief or what Paul refers to as believing in vain. But this world, make no mistake about it, headed to death. In fact, in one place it says that even our works, Christian, will be tested by fire. Now look, the wood, hay, and stubble is going to be burned up. And it says that the works will be lost, although the Christian will be saved. But he who builds on the foundation with precious gems, with silver and gold, his works will remain and he will receive a reward for it. So the Christian needs to set their mind on eternal things, on the kingdom that is to come, not well, let me say that different. The kingdom that has come but is not fully inaugurated yet, the kingdom of Christ that lasts forever and ever. And I just want to tell you that as you go through this life, as a Christian, you have no excuse for doing the wrong thing. You have no excuse for 
obeying and following after the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Because the Bible is so clear on what kind of people we are called to be. The morality is so spelled out. But if you think I'm up here giving you a do-gooder, you're not listening. Let me be clear. There is biblical morality, and you should do good. You should be holy, for your Father in heaven is holy. But if I go out and I preach, be good, do you know what I've done? I've preached death because it just works. Do you know how you be good? Putting that in quotes. Do you know how you be holy? You draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh unto you. You seek the Savior, King Jesus. So we don't preach morality. We preach Jesus. And if your heart is changed your deeds will be changed. If your heart is changed, your words will be changed. And people are identifying you by your deeds and by your words. Let me tell you a story I once heard. I heard somebody telling a story and they were having a conversation with some of their schoolmates in college. And they brought up Christianity. And one of their schoolmates said, Oh, I didn't know you were a Christian. Isn't that sad? Don't live your life so that people are shocked to find out you're a Christian. I'd much rather be the type of person that when they walk by, they go, don't say that around him. He's the preacher down there. Oh, you don't want to end up in one of his sermons or whatever it is for you. You get the idea. Let people say, in fact, I love when people say this. Now, I know that this is not technically correct. None of us are good. But I love when people say, he's a good man. That is a good saintly woman. They love the Lord. You could see it in how they live their lives. So let me tell you, moral admonitions don't compel men to morality, but coming to Jesus Christ does. See Him as He is. Or as John says here, know Him. If you walk in the light, you know Him. You know that He is all good, that He is all glory, that He is all power, perfect, pure, and righteous that He's gentle and lowly of heart, that He is loving, but that He is just. And if you are a Christian, then Jesus Christ is the object of all your faith. He's the motivation for your walk. He is the supreme being of your life. He is the one uncaused cause. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the one that died and rose and is alive forevermore. And it is only in His life that we have eternal life. So when you hear this, don't love the world or the things of the world. It refers to the evil world system. And the Christian is to turn away from the world and the things of the world and to chase after God, to chase after Christ, living a life that's spiritual. As I read this, and you know, we often we use this Christian language. Uh, draw near to God, and sometimes I think new Christians probably, what does that mean? Or to look unto Jesus, what does that mean? It means put all that you are on Him. Think on Him with all that you have. Trust in Him totally and completely and nothing else. And when you realize that part of you is trusting in this category of your life in something else, do away with that and put all your faith in King Jesus. I want to remind you that as the brazen serpent was, lift, serpent was lifted up in the wilderness... This was for the curing of the sins of the people in the Old Testament when the fiery serpents came in and bit them and many of the people died. And, uh, the command of God was to put a brazen serpent on a pole and lift it up and that all who looked unto Him would be healed. 
And that Jesus, in John chapter 3, he said, Even as the serpent was lifted up, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And so the call to the Christian is to look to Him, to cast your eyes on Jesus, to look to Jesus for all that you are, for all of your hopes. As a matter of fact, there's a, a hymn that captures this so well that reminds us to fix. It's not, it's not our eyes. It's the spiritual eyes that we sing about, to fix them on Christ. And it says to... This other hymn says to turn your eyes upon Jesus, to look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Lord God, we pray that like the little children that John writes to, that we remember that we are among the most blessed because our sins have been forgiven by the blood of Christ. We ask, God, that you would help us all to turn away from the world and to walk in the light, seeking Christ with all that we are. In all that we say, think, and do, we pray that we would glorify our Father in heaven. Lord, it is, it is only by you that we can be drawn. No man comes to the Father except by Christ. And no man comes to Christ except the Father draw him. So, God, we just beg that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would draw continue to draw. And Lord, that we as your children, you would draw us nearer and nearer each day. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to ask you all to stand if you would. And we're going to have a hymn of invitation. And um, This altar is open every Sunday. And sometimes people come and they take a knee and they offer up a prayer. Sometimes I hope that no matter what that you pray in the pew if you don't come forward. Um, but I want to remind you of the the many prayer requests that we heard this morning, a family that lost a two-year-old, uh, some that are sick and uh, they have uh, medical trials ahead of them that, that look quite bleak, and uh, there are many prayer requests. And I want to say this, uh, I'm going to stand here for just a minute, and if you're an unsaved person here today and you've not turned your back on the world and walked towards Christ, which means to turn your back on the world is to repent of your sins, it doesn't mean you can become perfect in a day, but it means you turn your back on your sins and you walk towards Jesus. I'm going to give you about 30 seconds to come up here and you tell me that story and we'll let you make a public profession before the church. But after about 30 seconds, I'm going to be one of the people down here on this altar with the many prayer requests that we have. And I want to ask you to join me in that if you would.
to thank you all for your attention today. <clears throat> and uh, let's pray for each other this week. I mean, as a matter of fact, I, I hope this is a year of prayer for each of our individual lives, that this will be a year where we catch ourselves praying more than we ever have, where we set time apart and that we pray. Um, I know that we have to take action. Many times we have to resolve to do something. But you know, most of the time in the Christian life, that comes after prayer. So let us pray. And uh, I want y'all to remember those that have heavy burdens. And in whatever you're facing, remember, don't love the world. Keep all of your trust in Christ and Christ alone. Doesn't mean everything in the world is bad. We're in the world, but don't let the world get in you. Harris, would you dismiss us in a word of prayer?